The Old Gold Club. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. The one-stop shop for all your building and DIY products. Uh, hello there. Uh, welcome along to the Old Gold Club podcast. I'm Mikey Burrows. Uh, alongside me, as ever, is Mr. Chris Wellamo, And our guest this week is uh, Mr. Steve Kinden. Hello, Steve. Hi, Maggie. Um, we will get to you in just a second. Sure. Don't you worry. We need to Thank kind you. of... Uh, Looms always says that I go for him at the start of the podcast. And <laughs> I know that he's been trying to tee you up to suggest that I'm going to come for you. I, I would never come for you, Steve. I mean, you're a professional at this kind of thing. You do this for a living now. And you wouldn't like this to be your last ever podcast, <laughs> would you? Very true. Very true. <laughs> See, I mean, because we had Steve Daly in mm-hmm. uh, a couple of episodes ago, and obviously he talked a lot about you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and he said that you were the reason why he, or how he got into after-dinner speaking. Yeah, he asked for a little bit of advice. Listen, let me tell you something. Steve Daly is a great lad. And he's a very, very, very good after-dinner speaker. I mentored him and got him involved, but he's done it all by himself. He's a great guy. Yeah. Well, you're an award-winning after-dinner <laughs> yeah. Was it not five years in a row you were not Soccer the, Speaker not, of the not Year? Not on the trot, because I won it three years on the trot, Soccer Speaker of the Year. And because I'd won it three on the trot, they didn't let me enter it the following year. <laughs> Give somebody else a chance, something. And then after, and then there was another year when the two years without it, as it were. And then apparently people were asking for me back, so I, they allowed me in again. And what what used to happen was that they would pick the organisation would pick four Scottish speakers, yeah. and they'd have it in Edinburgh or Glasgow, yeah. and then they'd have. F- four speakers either in Manchester or Leeds representing the north of England, yeah. four in Birmingham representing Midlanders and four in London. And they'd, they'd, at the end of it, you're only allowed to speak for 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, they turn the microphone off and then um, the, all the audience had to vote with a, they had a buzzer, a, a, a button to vote and so they'd, then they'd have a final being one Scotsman one Northerner one Midlander and oh, yeah. one Southerner and they'd have a final the first time I won it there was a, a wonderful speaker called Cat Bob the Cat Bevan from the South and, and Duncan McKenzie of course um, represented the Midlands from his Nottingham Forest days yeah. and in his Mansfield days I suppose anyway um the, the the Scotsman had spoken, whoever it was, and then it was Cat, Bob the Cat, and I spoke. I brought the house down, and and du- now it's Duncan's turn. And Duncan stood up and said, "Well, I think we can save everybody fifteen minutes here." <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me the trophy. <laughs> so can, I, can I ask then? So yeah. How did how did that come about? Because obviously you were a major part for for Steve Daly, like, but for yourself. You know, like it's something that you do speak very well. I can imagine you in the dressing room, which now you'd be infectious. You'd be one of those that can yeah, uh, get the boys up for certainly. it. And that's something. But did someone come to you? And did, did you get mentored as well? Or? No, no. The, the, the daft thing is I had um, a relatively successful football career uh, for 15 years. And now I've had a, an enormously successful after-dinner speaking world. And I've got a speech impediment. Right. I can't say me yeses, yeah. but it's not held me back. Throughout my career, um, I, I've, I've, I'm not just saying this, I've always been one for the fans. Right. And, and when you are a footballer, you'll know yourself, 
you get asked, can you come along and present the school prizes? Can you come along and present, uh, yeah. can you talk to the kids at the youth club? Yeah. Can you come along and, oh, my child's in hospital, he's a big Wolves fan, can you go and see him, Steve? Yeah. Can you open this supermarket? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I've always been the one to say yes. Uh, Bill McGarry, uh, mid-70s, was manager here, he's my manager here, and he decided off his own bat that we, we would go out to the public and mainly to companies, companies that would have, you know, black country engineer, engineering company, and they'd have a canteen. And for one season, one evening a week, he, he would get one of the coaching staff, usually Sammy Chung or Brian or, 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 or himself, and we had to have a rotor of three players. And he put this rotor up on the board up for the next 10 weeks. And it was like Bill McGarry, obviously I made this up, John Richards, Kenny Hibbert and Steve Kinden. And the next week it'd be Sammy Chung, Derek Dugan, Dave Wagstaff and Steve Kinden. And I was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was down for every week. And I went to see the gaffer. I said, hang on, boss. I don't mind doing half of them. It's a bit much. He says, no, no, you're good at it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I am good at it. Yeah. I, I know it's an arrogant thing yeah, to say. No, not at all. But, but it's what I'm good at. When I was 17, 17, I wasn't, I just played a first division game, one game, and it was a close season at Burnley. And they always had the the school's knockout. They always had the final on Turf Moor after the season was over, after the FA Cup final. It was a night match. These kids are about 15 or 16, and I'm 17, and they're playing school football, and I've just played in the first division. Anyway, I went along to see the game, and um, somebody must have spotted me because about 10 minutes into the game, a steward came up and said, the manager wants you in the director's box. My manager was Harry Potts. And I went along to the director. He said, get yourself home. I'm just watching a game of soccer. T-shirt, jeans in May. He said, get yourself home. Um, Get a suit on. You're presenting these prizes. I said, what? what, what, Have you not organised it? Yeah, Brian O'Neill has let us down. He's not turned up. So I had to go home. I didn't even have a car. I lived two miles away. I ran home. I got a shower and a suit on, came back. I've missed the game, 10 minutes left, and I want to see... Anyway, and I thought I'd be like the Queen presenting these medals in the... (laughs) So the game's over, and everybody started to leave the director's box. And I turned to the manager and I said, where's everybody going, boss? What about the presentation? Oh, it's at the town hall. All the parents will be there and all the teachers, and you have to make a speech. (laughs) <laughs> so goes, I can't talk properly. <laughs> she said, you'll be all right. And I sat next to the chairman, Bob Lord, uh, an infamous chairman, yeah. the butcher of Burnley. Yeah. He loved me and I loved him. I was one of the few we got, we got on great. Anyway, I sat next to him. I said, chairman, I don't know whether I can do this. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really frightened, you know. 17, remember? 17. Yeah. And, I'm t- and he said... Um, Ignore, I, I, do you know what? I, I, we were talking earlier, I've got a, a funny memory. I, I rem- this guy stood up and said, 
My, my Lord Lieutenant, the Lieutenant of Lancaster was there. Yeah. My Lord Lieutenant, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And I'm writing that down. I can't, I, oh, I can't remember all that. And somebody else spoke up for two minutes. My Lord Lieutenant, Mr. Mayor, Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And I, I'm really crapping my pants, really. And I said, I can't. <laughs> and Bob Lord said, do you see all those kids out there, Stephen? I said, yeah. He said, they want to be you. Just stand up and talk to the, those kids. The parents will love it. I did about 10 minutes yeah. and brought the house down. Yeah. <laughs> Even with my speech impediment. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And so I, I've always done it since. Yeah. See, I've. Uh, I'm sorry, I tend to. No, no, no. It's brilliant. <laughs> we, um, I, I watched uh, uh, someone had put a clip up. It's probably only four or five minutes of you um, doing some after dinner speaking. Well, I say after dinner, it looked more like a working man's club. Yeah. There was no microphone. You okay. were just honestly, I couldn't believe it. You were moving around all yeah. over the place. Yeah. A little bit blue, Steve. A little bit blue. No, it's very self-deprecating. Little... No, define blue. Little bit, little, there's some swearing in there. Yeah, there is. There you've is. got to choose your audience, haven't you? You've got to put it I, to the audience, depending you, on I mean, they loved it. You've just said, you've just said, I was at a working men's club. Yeah. I know where it was. It was in Sunderland. A working men's club in Sunderland. If you don't use the odd swear word, they think you... <laughs> Sounds not right. <laughs> a, a month ago, I, I'm, I, I live in Lytham St. Anne's now, <clears throat> and I'm a member of a very, very nice golf club called Fairhaven Golf Club. Yeah. And a month ago, I spoke to about 75 ladies' members for the lady for the lady captain, yeah. she's a personal friend, and she asked me to speak to the ladies for the coffee afternoon. And I spoke for 40 minutes without one swear word. <laughs> so it's horses for courses. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I love it. There's a lot of material, clearly, oh, that, that I, you've got. I, 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 was, I once turned up at a dinner uh, near Todmorden, and um, the comedian didn't turn up. And they said, can you do a second half, Kindo? And I said, well, I can, yeah, but it won't be joined up. You know, it'll be a story yeah. and then another story, whereas you'd rehearse, you rehearse, you don't rehearse, but you've got a patter and you've got the links. He said, oh, that'll be fine, that'll be fine. And because of that, when I went home, no, no arrogance in this one, but I went home, I thought, I wonder how long I can do. And so I decided to talk to a microphone and tape all my stories and I spoke for two hours, 40 minutes. So there's lots of... But it's a funny thing, though, you know. Um, one of my stories, lasted about 10 minutes, was about Roger Kirkpatrick. Right. Now, I'm guessing that means nothing to you. No. Not me. No. Correct, correct. A referee, when I played, they called him Mr. Pickwick because he had two bushy sideburns. <laughs> Mr. Pickwick. <laughs> I've got a 15-minute story about my chairman, Bob Lord, which is basically when I'm talking to city people and, you know, solicitors and accountants because it's about the difference of the wages, the wages we earned with compared with what they earn now, but the wages we earn compared with what the guy in the street was earning when I was playing. Yeah. I think we were tremendously well paid. I'm, yeah. I'm an exception to the rule. I don't envy the present players. We were tremendously well played, well, well paid. So that, but now people say, Bob who? 
you know. I, I shouldn't say this, sat here at Molyneux, but if I go to do a speech in Newcastle or, or in Bristol even, I'm afraid if I try and do my Derek Dugan story, a lot of them don't know who Derek Dugan is. Yeah. Don't forget, don't forget, a lot of the audience are 30 and 40 year old. Yeah. Some of them are in their 20s. Yeah. You know, I, I did a speech once just outside Sunderland and I, I, I did my story about Mike Summerby, who was a super England player for Manchester City. And uh, of course, his son played for Sunderland. And I, I was walking out home time, I was walking out the place, and this guy came up and said, Wonderful speech, Steve. To be honest, I don't know anything about football. You know that Mike Summerby you mentioned? I said, Is he related to Nicky? <laughs> and he wouldn't have known Nicky except he played for the local club yeah. so you've got to be careful of course if I'm in the West Midlands I can do my Derek Dugan story yeah. Yeah. of course if I'm in Lancashire I can do my Tommy Smith story yeah. uh, uh, who's a uh, you know did hard you find, man did you find out the hard way then that you had to be like this so because so did you have some probably negative experiences no, then or? no I just used me now really right. the, the fact that there the, the does come a time my two favourite stories now, I, I, I still love my Tommy Smith story because it does resonate well, but the, um, the, I, I've got a lovely story about George Best yep. and I've got a lovely story about Bobby Moore. Right, so that, now, that's those, those two it? names, in my opinion, yeah. will live forever. Well, yeah. we were going to get on to talk I'm about sorry. George Best because um, we often ask people if there are specific things they want us to talk about in this part of the podcast. And Danny Roseman got in touch and said... Perhaps ask the players uh, the ex Wolves perhaps players that the ex Wolves men always enjoyed or not playing against or with during their era. The players from the sixties and seventies would have some cracking stories of players from that era, and it stood out to me because you didn't you play with George Best three times in testimonial matches? Yeah, yeah I played against George on seventeen occasions, but I, 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 although I'm English. And he's Irish, and although he played for Manchester United, Fulham, and a load of other clubs, yeah. we never played at the same club. So how could I possibly play with him? But I did three testimonial games, and you scored a hat trick from all from a, him setting them up. Didn't a you? first half hat trick. Yeah, oh, uh, I, 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 honest to God, he's going to be my teammate. I idolised this guy so yeah. much. I revered him so much. We're in the dressing room getting changed. We're going to go out in half an hour and play in the same team. And I didn't dare talk to him. He was just like, <laughs> Can I, there. How good was he? It's just one of, you see videos yeah. and you, yeah. he had pace. He, yeah. He was getting smashed. He had yeah. he was, the technical ability of him. And I, I've, and I always, and who was it? Was it him? I think Kenny, he shot me down when I said, the game's changed, the, the, the speed of the game's changed, Aye. the players are all athletic phenomenons and they look after themselves. Yeah. And they he was one that he could play in any any era, couldn't he? he, he Absolutely. It, it it's a bit it's a bit of a false argument to say that times have changed because all you can do you can go back even further, of course, and say people like Tom Finney, go back further and say strikers like Dixie Dean, whatever you may go back to. All you can do is be the the best of your time. Yeah. And if you are the best of your time, who are we to say, oh, he wouldn't have been good enough now? I know, no, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But what I'm saying is, like, look at the pitches back then. Aye. Look at the weight of the ball. Aye. Look at the football boots. Aye. Look at the pitches now. The weight of the ball. Imagine, imagine. You know what, you know what I mean? That does, it does. It, 
if you're asking the question those technical players back then who were unbelievable absolutely doing, scoring the goals that they did with the ball weighing what it did she's been imagine them playing today you Aye. know what I mean and Kenny said it's the ball that speeds up the game and it's right isn't it it's the Aye. pace of the ball the passes players were making the passes back then I think when I see these players now warming up I, I, the goalkeepers had more skill than I had Keepy, you know, keepy uppy. Yeah. They're, they're, they're tremendously skillful. They're tremendously fit. But if I had to sum George Best up in four words, a two-footed Lionel Messi. <laughs> yeah. Lionel Messi. <laughs> I'm Steve Kinden. Am I going to criticise Lionel Messi? Who the hell am I? Of course not. Makes a big fan. Of course not. But I'll tell you now, Lionel Messi is left-footed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Don't get him started because we've had a big debate Lionel Messi about is, Messi I'm, v Ronaldo. I'm Steve. not knocking like I'm not. I can't. Good God, one of the world's greatest ever footballers, Lionel Messi. A good comparison. Similar height. Lionel carries a little bit more weight, but at a very, very similar height, five yeah. seven and a bit. Yeah. George Best, when George Best came over from Ireland to play for Manchester United, they had a very good left winger who was actually man of the match in the 68-year European Cup final, John Aston. So George played on the right-hand side. When they sold John on, they brought Willie Morgan in from, from Burnley. He was a right winger. So George went and played on the left side. And it didn't make any difference to him. Yeah. I, I, I knew George personally, socially. And I said, I said to him more than several times, George, are you left-footed or right-footed? Kindo, I don't know. <laughs> That's brilliant. Absolutely Because I looked at this list. I, I, it came up that you played in an international all-star 11 against yeah. Man City in Tony yeah. Book's testimonial. Correct. And I love this quote from you. It says... Um, the team was Gordon Banks, Pat Rice, Bob McNabb, Frank Monroe, Emlyn Hughes, yeah. Alan Ball, Martin Peters, Bobby Charlton, George Best, and then your Frank quote Worthington. was the fabulously skillful me. And you said, when we went down the tunnel, I was the only one I didn't recognise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what was I doing there? But it was when we were going down the tunnel that the wee man George said to me, Kindo, listen this. I played rugby at school, so I'd only been playing soccer five or six years. I was 23 year old, six or seven years. And, and this, this god of football, he said, Kindo, I've always wanted to play alongside you. I wish I'd had the wit to say, snap. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, I've got a bit of skill, Kindo, but with your pace and power, you can make my game easy. And all he asked me to do was every time he got the ball, count to three and run. I didn't even have to count to six. <laughs> count to three and run. And I did. And I was through. They had a Scottish international goalkeeper called Keith McRae. I was through with McRae to be on five occasions in the first half. Because he, he just done his magic. Yeah, the first time... I, I thought the lads were a bit closer to me and I took an early shot and it skimmed the crossbar. And the fourth time, I, w I was looking behind me, I'm well clear, and I thought, I'm a footballer, I'll dribble around Keith McRae. But I wasn't a good footballer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he took it off my feet. But the second, third and fifth time I was through, I got a first half hat-trick and it was 3-0 it was at half-time. 
Yeah. Magic. It's brilliant. Looms, who would you who who did you play against or you didn't like playing against? You were just telling us about big Sheffield United defender Chris Morgan you didn't like. Yeah, that was always a battle. I I enjoyed see I I liked the physical battle. You know, I I hated the the centre backs that had a bit more about them that would just feel you and take it down rather than come and fight on uh yeah, Morgan that was that was a good one. Uh I remember my first start for Scotland, uh Heinzer, uh from United. Mm. Gabriel Heinzer. I remember, yeah, Gabriel. So the ball's come up and I I'm, I think one of my strong points is reading where it's cut. So I went to head the ball and I think I'm gonna put I'm gonna put him on his backside here. I mean I'm gonna smash him, right? So I've went up and all of a sudden I'm flat on my back <laughs> you know what I mean he was hard as nails like he's obviously thinking the same oh this is my chance to put the big man on mm. his backside and he actually he, he, you know what and I've went to hit him hard as well he's took me out but it's I loved all that I loved the physical side of it I remember playing against uh, was it Shrewsbury in the cup and the centre back kept on coming down my Achilles so it's just one of them it goes in the little black book doesn't it and then the ball comes up and you think oh you should have done that mate <laughs> you flick the ball on and you just you just leave one on and I remember him getting stretched off and you just give him all oh, the best that's it and then you, it's part and parcel of the game Mikey you know what I mean but I did enjoy that, that physicality of it like I said I wasn't I wasn't the most gifted of uh, footballers technically but uh, the right service I'd hit the back of the net for you well done well see, were you the, the the physical partner I guess in the oh yeah the attacking line oh yeah because obviously we've had John Richards in. I, I He's was not the biggest player. of guys. I was a rugby player. Yeah. And I played football like I played my rugby. <laughs> <laughs> we played, uh, John was my best pal. John is my best pal. And um, remember once we, we played, I mean, it was awful. I mean, we were talking about George Best and Messi earlier. It's not just the physique and that. The, the pitches, you know, we just walk around Molyneux now and it's immaculate. The worst pitch of the lot was the baseball ground. Uh, Derby County and um, we beat them 4-1 at Derby once and I, I got a couple I think John got two as well anyway I, because I had to use my physique I did use my physique I wasn't skillful and I'm sat in the dressing room after and we'd played in like three inches of mud yeah. but it suited me actually and and John just turned around he's getting changed ready for the bath and John says you're a lazy player aren't you and, and we'd been up against two English internationals, Roy McFarlane and Colin Todd, super players. Yeah. Uh, again, not not so physical. They would, they'd nip the ball off you, super players. And and John, my best mate, says, you're a lazy player, aren't you? And I turned around to him and said, John, you can say I'm not skillful, but don't ever say I'm lazy because I'm not. No, 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 what I mean, Steve, there were two or three occasions when you could have gone round Roy McFarland, but you did decided to go straight through him <laughs> instead. <laughs> Fair enough. He called me lazy. Brilliant. But Brilliant. I was more direct. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, as ever, if there's anything you'd like us to discuss on this part of the podcast, keep those messages coming. Old Gold Club at wolves.co.uk. Uh, you can get in touch with us via social media. We are at Wolves across Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and many parts as well. Um, uh, at WV Build Supplies is our sponsor, Wolverhampton Building Supplies, on Twitter. Give them a follow as well it'd be great to hear from you we are gonna try and get out of steve kindon our guest today his Derek dugan story in the final part of our podcast so make sure you stick with us for that but the show itself 
is coming next. Wolverhampton Building Supplies is your one-stop shop for all building and DIY products. And now they're giving listeners of the Old Gold Club an extra 10% off of the already low prices. It doesn't matter if you're a professional builder or just looking to put up a shelf at home. Just tell them in store that you listen to the Old Gold Club and you'll get an even better price in store. So check them out online at wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk then head to their yard at 372 Bilston Road, Wolverhampton or give them a call on 01902 500 140. Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows alongside me, Chris Owellamo, and our guest this week spent five years at Molyneux between 1972 and 1977, making over 150 appearances and scoring 31 goals. The man affectionately known as the Tank. Welcome to the old gold club, Steve Kinden. Thank you, Mikey. It's brilliant to have you back. I love that nickname of the tank. Yeah. Because you've just been telling us that you played football like you played rugby. Mm-hmm. Is that where that came from? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. The physicality. Yeah, absolutely. Because you had more than just that nickname, though, didn't you? You had, uh, I've seen other nicknames for you, included Skippy. Mm-hmm. The horse. Mm-hmm. Let's not get into that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one to have. And um, is this true that apparently a commentator at the time called you a runaway wardrobe? It was Stuart Hall, and my mum was going to sue him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just a, a, a he, he paraded down the wing like a runaway wardrobe. It was just a comment he threw out. That was all. Kendall, you said earlier. Uh, about uh, you weren't the most as technical of no, players. Absolutely. So not. going into matches because you sc- hey you scored goals. It's the hardest oh, thing yeah. to do in football. Uh-huh. Would you go into a match thinking I can bully this? I can bully. I can use my attributes to bully it to then create for others as well. Would that be a strong point? Obviously, we want to go into matches, score our goals, and and take the credit for it. But how would you how no. would you approach football matches? No, I, I, I would never go into a game intending to bully. I was never that sort of personality. I was the, I, I, I was the protector. Right, okay. I grew up rugby and I was a far better rugby player than ever I was a footballer. And I was the rugby player who never got his shorts dirty because I was the, the three-quarter who would run past people because I was very fast. I had a great sidestep and a good handoff and I'd, I'd get the tries. But when it comes to physicality at rugby, I mean, it's changed now, but in the main, it was the eight forwards and the eight forwards protected the, the superstars. The, right, okay. I always remember Will Greenwood, the World Cup winner in 2003, He'd got a hat trick at Twickenham and he was being interviewed. And, and how about this try, Will? And what about this? And Will said, Oh, hold on, love. It's the forwards that win the game. The backs just decide by how many points. <laughs> so I took that physicality because I wasn't, I was, a, I was a big lad, but not compared with rugby forwards. When I went to football, the human frame is smaller. And so I was a bigger footballer. Yeah. And I used to protect the smaller lads in the team. And I'd, I'd have a quiet word sometimes, very often actually, with centre-halves. And I'm not 
against a good hard 50-50 challenge. I'm not <laughs> against a, a good rugged tackle. But I'd say to the big ignorant centre-halves like Sam Allardyce or whoever, any nasty business, if if one of my forwards but gets... That, that was part of the game though. I, I remember when I first came through and when aye. the goalkeeper came to claim the ball aye. and the manager would have a go at you for saying that's your chance to take, a good, to take a good yellow. Correct. And they'd be disappointed because then that puts the, the keeper on edge mm. anytime he's coming out. So... I'm surprised that you've said, oh, you're more the protector, but you know what's coming. You know that the likes of whoever it's, you, you said Sam Allardyce there, who was a very physical only, player. Only in the first eight months of my career, because I, I dished out more in retribution than they gave me. So they, After they, they started it? Aye, aye. <laughs> so they wouldn't do it again. In the return fixture or the next season's fixture. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mind rigorous tackling. You just mentioned the goalkeeper there, you know. Um... I made my debut at West Ham, at West Ham. It was just a throwaway game at the end of the season. The following season, I made my home debut and by coincidence against West Ham. Yeah. And the the idea of the team tactical talk for that week was, this is 1968, two years after we've won the World Cup final. Uh, right, Steve, you're going to be marked by you're, you're going to mark Bobby Moore if the centre half tries to stand go and stand by Bobby Moore make sure Bobby Moore's on you right lads just knock it over the ball Bobby Moore had every talent in the world <laughs> except yeah. he, he, he was a bit slow on his feet yeah. his mind wasn't so. yeah. fabulous defender but he couldn't run very fast so we won the game 3-1 my home debut I scored a goal and I'm marked by Bobby Moore and the next game was at the Victoria Ground Stoke <laughs> and the team talk was right as soon as we can in the game lob a ball up under the crossbar for Gordon Banks to catch Steve push him into the net That's it. go and body charge him into the net so we won the game 2-0 and the next game we were at home to Leeds United right the game plan is Steve's going to be on Jack Charlton who can't run and just knock over the ball the great Leeds United side of the late 60s, Gary Sprake, Paul Reaney, Terry Cooper, Billy Bremner, Norman Hunter, Jack Charlton, Peter Lorimer, Johnny Giles, Alan Clark, and the other two, Eddie Gray, <laughs> Eddie Gray, and the big centre forward, um, Mick Jones. Um, we beat them 5-1. So... That's my first, after the, tra you know, bit of a game the previous, that's my first three games. Yeah, brilliant. And I said to the gaffer next week, I said, boss, you just had me against Bobby Moore, Jack Charlton and Gordon Banks. Two years ago, they won the World Cup for England. Brilliant. How come I? He says, well, the Germans didn't have anybody with your pace and power. You've been, you've been far too modest. I have to say, though, in 72... Wolves come in for you. Yep. So talk yep. to me about that. What, okay. what what happened in that when it came up? What was your your knowledge of of Wolves at that moment? Very little. It's a little bit of a funny story. I hope I don't un insult anybody, <laughs> any Wolves fans. I I, I was I just got married. I, I got married in the, about eleven days earlier, and it's the summer months. It's June, and I've picked up. I'm, I'm it's a holiday, so I've picked up my morning paper. And the headline is that Frank Worthington was going to sign for Liverpool, but he's failed his medical. So Liverpool have pulled out of the transfer. 
And of course, the manager was Bill Shankly. About an hour later, I've met Rigby Papers, a knock on my door, and it's the chief scout of Burnley. Stephen, get a suit on. There's somebody at the club down to see you. Well, at Bur Burnley were a selling club. They, they sold their, quote, best player every year to make the finance. You know, small, yeah. small crowd and all that. They did very, very well. So you know it's a transfer. Somebody's at the ground to see you. So he said, so I'll see you down there, Dave. No, the manager wants me to take you. All oh, right, okay. So we waited. But in the car, this is how it was, to a certain extent, there weren't any agents. And to, I'm 21 year old. Yeah. And I sat next to this guy. Who is it, Dave? I'm not at liberty to tell you. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks, Dave. It's my future. And you can't. So we got, we pulled up outside Turf Moor and he jumped out the car and Jimmy Adamson was the manager and he said to the chief scout, Dave, Bill's in the director's room. I'm taking Stephen into my office for a quick chat to him. I thought, oh, Bill, it's Bill Shankly. He's not gone in for, you know, he'd been let down with the medical for, I thought it was Bill Shankly instead of Frank Worthington. I was going to Anfield. And I went into the manager's office and he said, I've got Bill McGarry next door. I said, oh, is he chief scout for, Bert, for Liverpool? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I knew who Bill McGarry was. But, you know, it's just a coincidence that he hadn't told me and I just thought it's Liverpool and then, of course, Bill McGarry, it's Wolves. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. So is this you admitting now, Steve, after all these years, that you didn't actually want to come to Wolves in the first place? <laughs> this is outrageous. I never said that. Wolves wanted me. You know, in those days, again, you didn't have an agent. You didn't agitate to get a transfer. But it proved, if they're willing to listen to an offer, it proved to me that Burnley, I'm not saying didn't want me, but... They'd rather have the money. Yeah. And Wolverhampton Wanderers did want me. What happened in this is the summer of 72. In the January of 72, Wolves played Burnley at Turf Moor in an FA Cup final, FA Cup tie, third yeah. round. And I had a great game, a, a really exciting game. I played really, really well. And Burnley beat uh, Wolves in the FA Cup 72. And apparently, I learned years later, Bill McGarry told me, I made a bid for you then. I wanted you straight away then. Right. But uh, Jimmy Adamson said, no, we'll need him till the end of the season. You can have him in the summer months. Because when you arrived, you joined a team that had just been in the UEFA Cup final. Yes. And lost to Spurs. Yes. Um, and had two of the most iconic forwards this football club's probably ever had. It. Yeah. And that, certainly at the time of Derek Dugan and John Richards already. John. And there was a, an awful lot of competition, and especially in what because you could play wide as well. Yeah. But then you had Waggy out the wide as well. Well, something remarkable, in my opinion, happened. Um, in our day, it was a seven-page contract. And at Turf Moor, I've agreed the terms with Bill McGarry and I've signed seven pages of a contract. And as soon as he saw me, it was subject to a medical. I had to drive up to Molyneux for a medical the following day. And as soon as I signed the contract, he looked at it, yeah, it's all signed. He said that he paid £110,000 for me, a record transfer fee ever paid by Wolves at the time. Yeah. And he looked at me, he said, right, Steve, he said, 
uh, you won't be playing much this season. <laughs> I said, why not? And he, he quite rightly said, although I, I wish he'd told me before I signed, uh, you, well, you can play centre forward or left wing. Yeah. Well, I've got a centre forward called Derek Dugan and he's better than you. <laughs> oh, thanks, boss. <laughs> and I've got a left winger called Dave Wagstaff and he's better than you. It's not bad when you've just signed a contract for 110,000. Yeah, welcome to Wolves. So I said to him, well, well, why have you signed me? He said, they're both the wrong side of 30. Chris will tell you, when you're 22, when you're 18, you get a dead leg, you're fit. You, you play, you, you're running again within two days. Yeah. When you're 32, you're out for two weeks, you know? So that first season, I think I'm right. I'm only one out. I played 27 games in the first season. Unfortunately for me, it was like half at left wing and half yeah. at centre forward. I think that was league in all the pit, in all, all appearances, yeah. Cup as well, 36. Was it 15 a sub though? That was the thing. Yeah, sure, sure. It was very disconcerting. And I've got I've got the video at home actually. We played West Ham away and we drew two all. And I scored both goals with runs from my own half. I just straight through like the tank. And I've scored both goals. I didn't play in the following week. So in that you're talking about your first season and the manager saying to you mm. that you might not you might not play as much. Mm -hmm. You're a young player. You're probably playing week in week out at Burnley. Aye. How difficult is that? So you come in, 36 appearances, five goals, scoring your debut against Newcastle. Newcastle yeah. So, so how how do you deal with that then? How, how would you say your first season was return return wise? It it once I'd got over this shock of not being as much wanted as I thought I was. Yeah. It was okay. And unfortunately, I don't want to be critical of the manager, but in 1972, he was right. By 1974-75, he was wrong. I was a better player than both of them by then. I was 24-25, they were 34-35 sort of thing. Yeah. And even when they were fit, but he had it in this mentality. Steve's a great substitute. Because your second season, um, your kind of appearances drop right down mm -hmm. and you also miss the run to the League Cup final yep. that year. When we yep. had Steve Daly in, and kind of he was in a similar position yep. as well. And it kind of, you could tell that it wasn't something that he, he'd still kind of rankled with him even now. Does it for you as well? The only thing about the League Cup that rankled with me in the week prior to the final, he, he called us all into the room one by one. Um, Sammy, it was quite comical. Sammy Chung's in the dressing room saying, Gary, Gary Pierce, um, manager wants you in the office. And it's just to say you're playing. And he's come back like that. And, uh, Jeff, Jeff Palmer, the manager wants you in the Derek, so one by one, yeah. they're all going to. And I, I was called into his office and he guaranteed me that I'd be sub. And then near nearer to the cup final, Alan, Alan Sunderland got a slight tweak of a hamstring. So because of that worry, he made he he told Barry Powell he, he Barry was sub. Yeah. And the thing is, he never told me personally. He just we're all together. 
three or four hours before kickoff. He said, right, lads, you'll know the team. And with Alan having a bit of a hamstring, I'm making Barry Powell my sub. And I can remember everybody looking at me in the dressing room, in the hotel room, because we all knew I was going to be sub and I wasn't even sub. That was terribly disappointing. Did you still go to the game? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you, where were you watching it? With, with Phil Parks. Lofty, because Lofty was injured. Yeah. Were you kind of allowed down onto the bench? Or no, did you have no, to watch no. it from the stands? From the stands. With See, our that wife. must have been so hard. Tell me about it. Yeah. Shed a few tears there. Are you over it, though? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I wish I'd played, of course. Yeah, of course you did. But um, it, I'm over everything. I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm over everything. Um, it, it was a great period of my life. Chris will tell you there's ups and downs. That was that yeah. was a dreadful down. The the one thing about Bill McGarry, uh, and it's happened before. Um, uh, in nineteen, I can't say it, but in nineteen sixty six, Alf Ramsey picked a team that suited the English conditions, and he invented the wingless wonders. We had we had Ian Callahan. And, and Terry Payne and John Kennelly in the 22 players, all wingers. Yeah. But he, he went with wingless wonders, they call themselves, <coughs> with Alan Ball doing a bit and Martin Peters doing a lot and, and all that. Wingless wonders. Four years later, in the humidity and the heat of Mexico, he played the same system. And three years later, he got, he got the sack because he hadn't moved with the times. He'd stuck loyally to his World Cup winners for too long. Yeah. Um, Don Revy at Leeds United built up a fabulous team, and it wasn't just a team because there was Terry Hibbert, there was there, there were other players, Rod Belfort, that were uh, Terry Yorath, that were wonderful in the squad. Yeah. But he stuck with that team, and then when he disappeared to manage England, Jimmy Armfield inherited a team that was basically all over 30 year old. Liverpool never did that in the same era. Liverpool evolved, brought in one or two players every year. Yeah. England got all together. Leeds United got all together. When I joined this club, I'd, I'm, I'm not knocking these players in any way, shape or form, but... <laughs> In the side, when I joined the club, was Bernard Shaw, over 30. Yeah. Danny Hegan, over 30. Jimmy McCallyog, over 30. Derek Dugan, over 30. Dave Wagstaff, over 30. Mike, did I say Mike Bailey? The captain, yeah. over 30. In 1972, great. Let's win a League Cup. 1974, let's qualify for Europe. When it gets to 1975 and 1976, all of a sudden it's not just over 30, the 33, 34, 35, and we got relegated. I was going to touch on that. You talk about there is lots of ups and downs Aye. in football. So obviously 75, 76, get relegated mm. from Division 1. So yeah. what went wrong? Obviously you're talking about the, the balance, maybe the, the ageing squad that... Maybe not evolving and bringing in the young talent and adding that one and two players. So, we, is, is that a main? Was Chris, that one of the main issues then? We had the young talent, just not using. Just not Barry Powell, Steve Daly, Alan Sunderland, Jeff Park. Well, Jeff got into the side on a regular basis, but they were all there. 
And yeah. we knew, we absolutely knew when we went down that we were too good to go down. And we went back the following season as champions. Mm. But it, it just, you can call it loyalty. You can call it a little bit short-sighted, a little bit blinkered. Call it what you will. He made him. I think he made a mistake. And by hell, if there was one lad who wasn't playing regularly, that was chomping at the bit, that was me. Yeah. What, what would you what would you, what would you put that down to then? Because obviously a manager, he has experienced professionals that have been there and done it. <laughs> They're also a voice in the dressing room. You lose one of them, it can also poison the rest of the group, isn't it? So as a manager, you have to manage these players, but still. The players have got to understand that there's young talent there that probably deserve to get the chance. You know, when I came to Wolves, you know, they brought in Sam Vokes. We had Mick yep. McCarthy on here. Yep. Uh, and uh, he, he spoke about players being ready and uh, being able to learn from the players that are ahead of them. But there is, comes a time when they take the mantle, don't they? Absolutely. And what, so why, why, why would, why, what was it? What was his reasoning then? Because these players were good, good footballers, good professionals. They delivered more so, but yeah, they were aging. They would, they would miss games with sure. But where was, was that probably a fear that he didn't want to upset them too much? He had to kind of keep everyone happy, as no. all managers probably try and do now. It's probably the hardest thing to no, do. No, Bill McGarry was a distant manager. Yeah, we very rarely spoke to him socially. He was a distant manager, and he was a powerful man. And to me. To a certain extent, a little bit frightening. I don't right. mean physically. I don't, you know, it, it didn't make friends easily, sort of. But thing. he had the respect to the. the, the oh dish. yes. Yeah. His knowledge of football was absolutely supreme. Yeah. We'd, we'd train in a certain manner. I'm making it up now. Four two four, and within five minutes, he's seen how the opposition is playing, and he sent a message down, and we're changing it, and we could change it. We were good players, but. So I don't think he owed a friendship to Jimmy McCallyog or, or Danny Hegan. I don't think he owed a friendship to Derek Dugan or Dave Wagstaff. It's very, very difficult. If, 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 <laughs> if you've got a car and it's brand new and you love that car and five years later you still love that car and eight years later it starts to sound a bit funny... You still love that car, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and you want to keep yeah. that car. And you really know you should have got a new one two years before. And it could be similar to that. Jimmy McCallagh, I keep saying Jimmy. I could say Bernard Shaw. I could say Danny Hegan. I should say Doug, Waggy, Mike Bailey. Fabulous player, Mike Bailey. But there comes a time in every, every car existence, there comes a time in every player's existence when they're not quite as good as they were six months earlier. Yep. They're not quite as good as they were a year earlier. Yep. And six months after that, now they're struggling. But if, you, if they've done it for you before, we used to, we have a, I can remember having a training session and uh, you know the route where you just pass it 10 yards and go round the back and you pass when it's yeah. your turn yeah. it's just a, the ball going back and forth and it's just one touch you just pass it go round the back pass, when it's your turn again Danny Hegan used to he used to chip it up get on his knee and do a little trick with it that none of us dare do because it's one touch you're not allowed to do that you've been to, and Bill McGarry would stand there saying Great, Danny, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Danny Hegan, uh, George Best was obviously ghostwritten, but he, uh, a book 
they played together for Northern Ireland, and yeah. da- and and uh, George Best once was quoted as saying the most skillful footballer he'd ever seen was Danny Hegan. Brilliant. He was a great footballer, but um, he had his. I don't. It it passed his sell by day. Had his day, yeah. Aye. Yep. Aye. Comes through his all. Aye. The as you mentioned kind of earlier, there are skillful footballers. Mm-hmm. You were a very fast footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, you ran the hundred meters mm-hmm. in ten point seven seconds. Done your research. I you? have done my research. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. We're not just coming to this off the fly here, Steve. <laughs> um, and I, I looked it up. You know, yeah. that is only I think zero point eight hundredths of a second off the world record hundred meters time at the time you the, were that fast you Bri- could have competed at the olympics the british record was 10.4 when so that's i when i, when I ran 10.7 my brother represented great britain in athletics at the high hurdles 110 hurdles and uh, my brother's malcolm he never ever could beat me in a flat race he could hurdle better than me but in a flat race he never beat me and it did me a power of good coming to Wolverhampton in one respect because in the summer months, because big lads tend to put a little bit of weight on. We all accept that, Steve, around this table. So I used to play an awful lot of tennis with Alan Sunderland. We used to love, in the summer months, I, I used to play a game of squash every week with Bev Bevan, the drummer from The Move yeah. and the Yellow. Oh, yeah, Bev and I, great pals. Love this. Yeah, and then... Um, in the summer months, every Tuesday, I'm sorry, every Thursday evening, I went to, um, oh, uh, good Lord, I've forgotten the name of the track, Wolverhampton and Bilston. They have an athletics track. Right. I've just forgotten what it's called. But I I was training there, and there was the second best 400-metre runner in the country, Glenn... Is it Glenn Cohen? No. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'll remember. And we used to train together. Because I needed... No good me training for 50 yards or 100 yards. I needed to improve my stamina. So we used to train with this 400-metre runner. And we'd do a 300-metre run and then stop 400 metres around the track. Not stop. Run for 300 metres fast and then walk for 100 metres. To back to the start yeah. and then run again and do a series of 10 runs yeah and at, at the end of every session glenn and i had a race just to and whenever it was less than 300 meters this, this lad was a international david yeah. jenkins the big blonde lad he was the best in the country at the time and and i used to if if it was anything three if it was less than 300 meters our final race i'd always beat him if it was more than 300 metres, he'd always beat me. And it was a 300 metre mark where it was on the night. <laughs> well, you were the fastest footballer in in England. And until recently, I was the fattest ex-footballer. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, wasn't there like, those proper competitions, proper races? Yeah, you had to go to Edinburgh, to Meadowbank Stadium. So was it like one person from each club? No, no, no. Uh, the, every year the club would get a letter. Um, we're holding this competition. If anybody wants to enter, please feel free, let us know. So, yeah. 
So when you went up there, like, did you have to run in football kit? Oh, no, no, no. No, I couldn't. <sighs> what, 10.7 in my football boots? No, no, no. It was a proper... It wasn't a, an athletics meeting like you might see in the Olympics because it was um, in Scotland. And they're funny up there, aren't they, Chris? <laughs> it was actually a professional athletics meeting, tossing the cable and doing the, uh, the old... All the... All the he- and and the professional, they've always done it in Scotland. It'd be handicapped. You'd be, not us, this is a special race, but the 100-metre runners, somebody might be doing 104 metres and somebody else only 98. It'd be staggered stars yeah. because that's where the handicap. Anyway, they invented this race, fastest footballer in Britain. And it was athletics, um, cutaway shorts, you don't like me like that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> cutaway shorts, starting blocks, spikes, uh, electronic timing, tartan track, and it's a 100-metre race. And if there were more than so many entries, which you usually had two races, a qualifying race, and a, sometimes we had three. If there were more people, you'd qualify for the semi-final. I've got a photograph at home. Uh, as an I'm, there isn't no such thing as the tape, but because it's electronic time. Yeah. As I'm, quote, breasting the tape, there's, if you ever you look on an athletics track, there's lines. There's a line on that tape, then a metre, then a metre. There's all lines for five metres. Then there's a gap, and then there's a five-metre gap. So, again, you've got one, two, three, all metres. I've got a photograph of home of me breasting the electronic eye, and there's a lad just gone over that 10 meter line so he's about nine meters behind me yeah malcolm mcdonald okay who was considered to be a very very fast runner so he came fourth so you were the you were the usain bolt of 70s footballers (laughs) yeah unfortunately there's not many pitches 100 meters long so uh, (laughs) i took 96 meters to get warmed up but it's a great thing because you won it seven years in a row didn't you i would have won it the eighth time i think but uh in in those days the last time last time i went it was 850 pound prize money late 70s you know a lot of money and they phoned up to say, because it's a professional meeting, people bet on it. They phoned up to say, are you coming? I said, yeah. He said, well, we don't want you to. Why not? Nobody's betting on the race. They all see it a <laughs> foregone conclusion. I said, well, I'm still coming for the prize money. He said, if we send you the money, will you not come? <laughs> so I stayed at home. <laughs> I was getting a bit older anyway. <laughs> the Old Gold Club. Powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. For the best price locally, head to wolverhamptonbuildingsupplies.co.uk. So that was the show. On with the podcast. Um, loads that we need to get to. I just, I love this, that you were the fastest footballer of the time. Um, we, I want to go back slightly to... Um, the relegation that we kind of touched yeah. on in the show because you stayed and you were part of the team that got back up, yeah. but then you moved on. Yeah. So what happened there? Um, I was a young kid at 21 and <clears throat> as I said earlier, right out of the blue, Bill McGarry came in for me. I've not asked for a transfer. Then I was five years at Wolverhampton, a little bit longer actually. I joined in the summer and... What happened was, um, early 
the next season after the promotion year, the early the promotion season, John, King John, got a little bit of a niggle, a bit of a knock. And he was in the medical room <clears throat> and I think he missed the game. And then, of course, he's fit, he's training. <laughs> John Richards, straight back in the first team. Yeah. Absolutely right. And a week later, or two or three weeks later, Kenny got a knock. And he, I think he missed the game. And then he, he was fit, he was running around like a, a young boy and straight back in the first team, quite rightly. And then I got a knock and I missed the game. And by this time, Sammy Chung is the manager and Sammy said, I'd like you to have a run out in the reserves to prove your fitness. And that was the final straw. I said, I don't think John did, did he? A month or so ago. I don't think Kenny did a week or so ago. I said, Sam, I've had five years of being looked upon as an understudy. Mm. We've had a fabulous season. The three main people were Alan Sunderland, John Richards and Steve Kingdom when we got when I, I don't mean the main goal the goal threat. Yeah. I didn't mean main players. We were a great we were a very, very good team. And it was Alan Sunderland, Steve Kinden, and John Richards up front. And, and if we went out on the right-hand side, Alan would play wide and Steve and John up front. On the left-hand side, Steve would go wide and Alan and John up front. And it worked well. Willie Carr was there, Kenny was there, Steve Daly, Barry Powell, good side. Yeah. Young lads, younger than, you know, all, all about the same age sort of thing, mid, mid-20s by that time. You know, the older lads had gone on, had, had left. So anyway... I thought I was a bona fide, fully paid up member of the first team. I want you to have a run at I said, no, Sam, I've had five years of this. You and Bill McGarry looking upon me as an understudy, a mate weight. So, no, I've had enough. So I asked for a transfer and I asked the PFA rep and he said, you've got to put it in writing. So I put it in writing. I gave it to Sammy and I said, I've been told to say, Sam, I want you to show that to the directors. That evening, the chairman came round to my house and asked me to take it back. Uh, I said, no, no. Even if I were to play on Saturday now uh, for the first team, it's the mentality that Sammy's got in his head that quite rightly, <laughs> John Richards walks back into the side and quite rightly, Kenny Hibbett, Fabulous player, straight back in the first team. Steve Kinden, give him a run out in the reserves. But all the same age. John was born in November of 1950. I was born in December of 1950. And Kenny was born in January of 51. We're all the same age, but they were... So I asked for a transfer written. And within a very short space of time, I'd gone back to Burnley. Was, was that a relief? Would, would you think because you're going back to a, a club that uh, even at a young age they looked at you as one of those fully fledged first team players? Yeah. So was that a relief that you're going to go there? You can express yourself. You can play. It was a step down uh, yeah. because <clears throat> uh, Burnley. Were, I played four years in what we would now call the Premiership, and we got relegated. 
And it was whilst I was playing in what we would now call the championship yeah. that Bill McGarry bought me. Yeah. So I'd, I'd, I was in what we knew as the second division at Burnley. Mm. After four years in the first division, we got relegated. One year in the second division, Bill McGarry came, I'm back in the first division. Same thing happened. Four years in the first division, got relegated. One year in the second division, back up. But Burnley was still in the second division. So this transfer was going from the first division to the second division. Yeah. But let me tell you something. Two points for a win in those days. Burnley had five points in November. Two got relegated. Blackpool had... Burnley were bottom. Blackpool were 21st with 10 points and Luton were 20th with 15 points. We were 10 points away from safety. We finished the season in sixth. Mm. The Burnley Express, the local newspaper, they ran a table that at the end of the season, they issued a, a, a league table and they call it AK, after Kinden. Yeah. So uh, November to the end of the season, we, we were champions. We were top of the table. I had a fabulous season. I had my best ever season in football. And you could, it's easy to say, well, it was only second division. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I turned the fortunes of the club round and we, we were finished sixth. We were so far off the bottom. We finished sixth and I had my best ever season. Can I ask you something then? You yes, said sir. there that it was uh, a short period of the time when obviously you put the, the transfer yeah. request in. How was the manager and assistant with you then, the coaching staff? Because obviously you, you still got to come in and train. You've got to be the professional. How, of course, the, the move to Burnley, going back to Burnley came, but mm -hmm. that's I've been in that situation mm -hmm. and you ha it, is, it is so hard to stay focused. Mine was in pre-season, so I know that, okay, I'll play my games, yeah. there'll be people watching, I knew I was going to be coming here. Yeah. And I, how, how were they, how was that relationship with them, with you? I, I don't really remember any negativity, mm -hmm. uh, but then again, I've always been a buoyant figure. I've always been life and soul in the dressing room and the fact that I might be a, 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 a fringe player in the early days, I'm still life and soul yeah. and I go in anyway and it takes a lot to make me depressed. It takes yeah. an awful lot. Because yeah. I read a quote from you that said that um, if Jeff Palmer told a joke... He would be the only one who laughed and the lads would it, ask no, you it's to not take a, it again. It's not a quote. That actually happened. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff walked into the dressing room and hey lads, I heard a great joke and he told the joke and nobody laughed. And John Richards, my best pal, he says, Kindle, tell us that joke. I said, which joke? She's that joke, Jeff, just tell us it. So I stood up and told the same joke within 20 seconds and everybody laughed. <laughs> it's a timing thing. <laughs> um, I've got to ask you about this thing about um, Desert Island Discs. You were mentioned by Jimmy Hill because um, you were part of a Jimmy Hill 11 that went to Sudan. Khartoum. This is the most random thing I have ever heard when I read this the other day. Come on. Danny Hegan was with me. And Danny uh, said afterwards, a week afterwards, he says, you didn't realise how funny that was, did you? I said, no, it's just a throwaway line. What happened was, <clears throat> we got this international tour, uh, a selection of players from Bob McNabb was there, 
before he came to Wolves, he was at Arsenal. Anyway, and we're going out to basically show the Sudanese how to play football. I, d I don't mean that. Anyway, that was the, what the tour was all what about. What year is this? Probably 75, 76. Frank, Frank Monroe was with us and Danny Hegan. Anyway, we went out there and it was um, 135 degrees of heat. That's Fahrenheit, about 45, I think, centigrade. And more than that, it was humid. Oh, it was stiflingly oppressive. And because of the conditions, we were going. We, there were only two teams in the nation, and we called them the Reds and the Blues. And for some reason, it was all mixed up. We're going to play the national side first, and then, then we'd play the Reds, then we'd play the Blues, and then we'd come home ten days away, sort of thing. You know, fabulous sort of experience of life. And um, so, we, we, because of the conditions, the heat and that, we're going to kick off at eight o'clock at night. So we're there a couple of days training and then we, we get told, not requested, we get told, oh, they brought the kick, uh, kickoff forward to four o'clock. Do you know, have you ever been in a sauna and literally breathing deeply and the hairs of your nose burn yeah. or the, uh, breathing deeply and the, your throat get, it was like that. It was awful. And we've gone out to show these lads how to play football and they beat us 3-1. And so we were absolutely disappointed with the result. Disappointed. We felt cheated because of the time and all that. It was so hot. And uh, the, the, the bus that had taken us from the hotel to the stadium, it wasn't one of the buses that everybody faces the front. It was a, a military bus with the seats. So you've got your back to the side of the coach. So we're all depressed and I, I'm, I'm looking round and after the game, we, we've all had a shower and we're going to go back to the hotel. And I'm looking around and everybody's got their head down. And all I said was, now, don't worry too much, lads. At least the weather's been nice for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's just a throwaway. Well, somebody started to giggle. And then within two minutes, there's tears coming down. Oh, it was the patheticness of the situation, really. Anyway, we, we beat the Reds and we beat the Blues, eight o'clock kickoff, and Jimmy Hill asked if we could play the national side again, stay on for an extra day, and they let us. And we beat them 7-0, and I scored six. You know what we did? Come on. We played one, that's the goalie, we played one nine one. Just played me up front, and I'd be... <sighs> And when I was ready, right, lads, and they'd just kick it over their heads. <laughs> and nobody would. I, re I remember once, 20 minutes gone or something, I had this shot, just me on my own. I just had this shot, and the keeper parried it over. So I went to take the corner, and nobody, nobody had come up. <laughs> not, not one of our team had come up. They are all on the halfway line and saying, <laughs> so I just kicked it out for a throw in and I walked back to the halfway line and of course they attacked but once we got possession yeah. they just played keep ball little, yeah. little triangles keep ball keep ball well I had a rest and, right lads I'm ready there it goes over my head again run after that kid though <laughs> brilliant absolute brilliant right um, we have a thing that we do called the rundown um, where we're going to rattle through some questions okay. we can either 
Do your Derek Dugan story first, or do the rundown and then the Derek Dugan story? Which still, or did you want to go in? Whatever suits you. I feel I've talked too much. So no, let's, no, no. Let's, let's do the rundown. Look Everyone would prefer to hear you than us. Trust me. <laughs> that right? All right, let, we'll go for the rundown. Uh, okay. Best player that you played with at Wolves? John Richards. Who was the worst could, trainer? Could I mention Mike Bailey? Yeah. Uh, yes. Alongside him. I'm sorry. Um, who was the worst trainer at the club? Danny Hegan. Yeah? Yeah, he probably didn't turn up half the time. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest mourner? I really want you to say Steve Daly, yeah. Oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Bernard Shaw. Who was your best friend at Wolves? John Richards. The best and worst dress sense. The best dress sense. The best and worst dress sense. Worst? With n- absolutely no thought. Me. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'd like a tramp, <laughs> to be fair. Um, best dress sense. Possibly, pr- probably Derek Dugan. Okay, we're going to get on to him in a minute. Yeah. Um, who was the funniest player that you played with? Funny in sense of humour. Well, yeah, or just stuff they did. Steve Daly. Steve Daly. Yeah, yeah. Ha ha, said the clown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, best manager you worked for? Gooden. Good question. Um. I feel that as a manager, and it's not just manager of a football club, if you're a manager of a, a supermarket, yeah. manager of a car showroom, yeah. there's certain things you have to do. And I would think the two most important things are man management skills mm-hmm. and product knowledge. You've got to know yourself, the game. Without a doubt, the, the, the manager with most product knowledge, Bill McGarry, but I don't think, personally, I don't think his man management skills were very yeah, good. Right. Sammy Chung, opposite. Harry Potts, my first manager, had a run through a brick wall for him. Yeah. But he wasn't very tactically. He needed Jimmy Adamson. Yeah. Late on in my life, I was 29-year-old, I signed for Huddersfield Town. And uh, I played for a manager when I was 16 and 17 at Burnley. He was 27, 28 at Burnley, a left back called Mick Buxton. Yeah. He went on to manage at Sunderland. With, as, as a collective, he wasn't as tactically aware as Bill McGarry, but he was nearly that. Eh? He wasn't as affectionate and Uncle Harry Potts. He wasn't... And quite, but he was nearly yeah, up there. So, so take it as a whole, yeah. the best manager I played for was Mick Buxton at Huddersfield Town. Um, what was the best goal that you scored at Wolves? Um, it was a goal against the Arsenal. Um, we, were playing against, we were playing to what I know as the South Bank. Um, Arsenal had a corner on this side of the pitch that's no not this side um waterloo road side I, i'm sorry I, I know there's new names for the all these places now and a corner came across i'd gone back to the penalty area to mark peter simpson the center half and i realized as the ball was struck although we were on the far post on the edge of the box i realized the ball was too high for us and too quick for us it was so while Peter Simpson's trying to attack the penalty spot, I'm running the other way because the ball was overhit. Yeah. And I just stopped the ball going out for a, a throw in near the corner flag. That's the corner flag of what I know as the Molyneux Street stand and the South Bank. Yeah. 
and I picked it for up people there. today. That's the Steve Ball stand and the Sir Jack Hayward. Yeah. Okay. I'm what became sorry. the John Island and then the Steve yeah. Ball stand? Yeah. Yeah. And I picked the ball up there and I started to run with it. I was left-footed, and I'm running down the right wing. Now this is about seventy-four. In seventy-one, Arsenal had won the double, and. They had Peter Simpson and Frank McClintock at centre-backs. They had Bob McNabb and Pat Rice at full-backs. They had Peter Storey, their hard-digging midfield player. And I started to run it with Peter Storey, and he came across, and I just nicked the ball past him, and I ran. And then Pat Rice, no, Bob McNabb was there, and I, I, I ran past him. And Pete, Frank McClintock came across, and the goalkeeper was Bob Wilson. And um, about 25 yards out, I struck the ball with my right foot, and it flew into the net. Brilliant. And I went, goal! And I'm <laughs> jumping up! And it seemed to me, for about five seconds, nothing happened. All the players, all my teammates were like open mouthed. <laughs> and, and, and all the fans were like open mouthed. And then it was, it was five seconds. It's probably half a second. Yeah. But you know, yeah. to me, it was a, I'm going goal like a demented idiot. And nobody's <laughs> reacting. And then all of a sudden, goal! The crowd went yeah. mad. My right. mates are jumping on top of me. <laughs> yeah. What was the, the best game that you were involved in for, for Wolves? Uh, we beat Chelsea 7 1. Yeah. And. Um, I had one of those games that um, even when, uh, for instance, I tried to head the ball to Willie Carr, um, it'd come off the side of my head and go to Kenny a bit. <laughs> even, even when I made a mistake, nobody noticed. <laughs> Got away with that one. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Little things like that. Fantastic. But um, I do remember it was, a, it, was Willie, it was Willie's debut for the club. And I've got an article uh, cut out of the paper. I keep a scrapbook. Well, I keep about 10 scrapbooks. And the article read at the end of it, um, it at the start of the game, Willie Carr's debut, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And at, right at the end, it said, Bill, Mc, Bill McGarry has bought a car to see Wolves through to the end of the season. But this game was won by a tank. Oh, brilliant. That's nice to know. Nice, yeah. Fantastic. That's nice. And what was It your... cost me a lot of money for you to buy that. <laughs> <laughs> what was your proudest moment at Wolves? Can I take it away from the football club? Yeah. Um, I've just... I, I'm 68 year old. My son was born in 1974. And he's my only child. And... We just had a week's holiday together. We'd just been to Spain for five days. And, you know, Gellin and Matt's my boy and all that. And uh, I've, I've booked the tickets for the aircraft online. And so I had to phone my son up because he lives 40 miles away from me. And I said, son, um, I need your passport details, please. All oh, right, Dad. OK, right. What's the number? Right, right. What's the place of birth? All Brighton. Huh. Yeah? Yeah. Without a doubt, the proudest moment of my life in that five-year period of my life was my, the birth of my son. Yeah. Can I say that? I know it's not football, but there no. you go. It's all good. Yeah. It's a lovely thing. Yeah, but it's nice to, to think, you know, he's lived most of his life in Burnley, but he was born in All Brighton. Yeah. Good, good crack, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, just before we finish. Yes, sir. Derek Dugan. All right. Because I am fascinated 
because you know it's one of those things where my dad and my dad's cousin uh, always talk a lot about him. But of course, I'm, I'm too young. I say, of course, okay. you're looking at me like I'm not too young. Both of you are looking at me like I'm not, I am quite young. I'm younger than I'm you, Lose. Yeah, exactly. So, Derek so Dugan, yeah. talk to me. Do you know, in my opinion, this stadium can hold round about 235,000 people because that's how many people have told me, I was there when you're not Derek Dugan out. <laughs> <laughs> it was the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and we're drawn to play at home uh, against Coventry City. I should have been playing that day because at the time I was one of the two best strikers at the club. The best was John Richards, and I was the second best. But the manager disagreed with me <laughs> and he picked Derek Duggan. And we ran out at the North Bank end. The, the tunnel in those days was up at this end of the park. So we all ran out and we're kicking in. And uh, John Richards, Phil Parks is a goalkeeper and, and Phil liked to be warmed up by John being eight yards out and 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 Phil would roll a ball to him and, and, and yep. he'd clip it into his chest and he'd do it again, clip it into his chest, clip it, clip it, you know, that's Phil getting warmed up and feeling the impact of the ball and that's not bad for John Richards either, a little dinky ball, little dinky ball, as you got a little bit, you know, if you've done it ten times, you're hitting it a bit harder, oh, you yeah. know. And then every, every he'd do it two or three times with John and then I'd be on the left wing near the tunnel and I'd be crossing the ball, so Phil Parts would get John Richards, John Richards, Steve Kinden, you know, a high cross, so he's, and throw the ball out, and while he, I'm getting collected again, John Richards, John Richards, John, John, Steve Kinden, you know, so Phil's getting warmed up by the two of us. And then Derek, uh, very popular with the crowd, and he decided uh, the North Bank was our shouting end and he'd been warming up outside the box and he decided to walk from the 18-yard line towards the goal to go behind the goal to conduct the Wolves fans. One Derek Dugan, there's only one Derek Dugan. By this time, Phil Parks had had enough of jumping up for my cross and he's still getting John putting a couple into his chair. So he went like that to me, uh, pointing his hand flat, you know, like a, a, a cricket umpire yeah, will signal four. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like that, holding his hand out to me, meaning he wanted a hard, low cross. Well, the ball teed itself up perfectly. And for once in my career, I hit it just right. <laughs> the ball just flew off my boot. There was no impact there. It just pinged. And about eight minutes to three, eight minutes before the quarterfinal of the FA Cup against our West Midlands rivals called Coventry City, Derek Dugan has had this ball that I've leathered slap into the side of his head. And he's unconscious. He's flat out and unconscious. <laughs> and he's been made unconscious by the player that ought to be playing in his position anyway. <laughs> I, was, I was mortified. <laughs> I ran over 
And, and of course, Sammy Chung was the trainer in those days and he ran on and he's got the smelling salts. And uh, Sammy tried to cheer me up. He said, don't worry, Steve. He said, we know you didn't mean it. If you'd have meant it, you'd have missed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Sam. Brilliant. Yeah, that was Absolutely it. Brilliant. That was it. I got, a, I got, a, I think they did it. Not one person. I got a, a letter from the university or the college yeah. up at the top, and it was a, um, a questionnaire. which was about a fortnight later, um, and the questions about fifty questions. Then said I uh, hope you don't mind filling it. It's for our educational studies. Oh, we've selected you as a Wolverhampton, a, a, an accompanying letter as a Wolverhampton Wonders player. So I'm reading this. I thought, oh, if I can help these kids with their education. And then question one: Would you rather a do something? B, something, or C, not Derek Dugan out before the kicker. <laughs> and then question two, question C of, of about 50 questions. <laughs> so, so I just ticked C in every box. <laughs> brilliant, absolute brilliant. Thanks for listening to the Old Gold Club, powered by Wolverhampton Building Supplies. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts.